Coming up this evening, live from New York City, Russian leader Vladimir Putin signaling that gas deliveries to Europe will start up again. But European countries still have concerns. U.S. home sales are at a two-year low as prices are rising to record highs. Is it a seller's market or a buyer's market? Netflix stock rallied today, despite the company losing nearly a million subscribers in the last quarter. What's its plan to make up revenue? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Chenny Wu here for NTD Business. Russian President Vladimir Putin says that gas deliveries to Europe through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline will resume. They were shut off because of maintenance, which should end tomorrow. But Putin says he may only deliver 20% of capacity if a Russian pipeline turbine, which was recently being repaired in Canada, isn't returned to Russia soon. Because of Germany's aggressive efforts, that turbine is on its way home. About a third of Germany's gas comes from Russia, making it highly dependent. Despite Putin's words, the European Union is still on high alert. The European Commission president says Gazprom, Russia's state-controlled gas giant, has proven to be a completely unreliable supplier, and countries should be prepared. Here she is today. We have to be proactive. We have to prepare for a potential full disruption of Russian gas. And this is a likely scenario. What we've seen in the past, as we know, Russia is calculatingly trying to put pressure on us by reducing the supply of gas. The European Union is telling its members to cut down on gas by 15% until March. That's around seven months. Existing home sales dropped for the fifth month straight in June, according to the National Association of Realtors. Sales in June fell 5.4% from May. This is the lowest level in two years. The West, Midwest and South all saw declines, but sales were unchanged in the Northeast. The median existing home price rose over 13% from a year ago. It stands at a record high of $416,000. The inventory of unsold existing homes is rising too. It was at around $1.26 million at the end of June. The housing market has softened notably this year as the Federal Reserve lifts rates to curb inflation. But it seems like the slowdown isn't affecting all parts of the U.S. equally. The housing market in Florida, for example, still looks pretty strong, despite some signs of cooling. And here to talk to NTD's Don Ma about the market there is Jeff Musgrave. He's a real estate broker in Tampa Bay. Jeff, thanks for coming on. So we have new data from the National Association of Realtors. There's a slowdown in the housing market, existing home sales down 5.4%. Is this a combination of everything that's happening right now? You know, high mortgage rates, high home prices. What's causing the sales to go down, Jeff? Well, we are seeing uh, an uptick in active listings coming to market in the residential market. Um, We're starting to see uh, price reductions outpace Uh, active listings and sold listings outpace active listings hitting the market. So the supply and demand is starting to even out a little bit. The rising interest rates, it is pushing a lot of those borderline purchasers out of the market as well. So we're losing a handful of buyers. We're increasing the supply that's hitting the market. uh, And we're just kind of seeing property stay on the market just a little bit longer than we have been. 
Now, I know you sell in Tampa Bay, Florida, one of the nation's hottest housing markets. Is that what you're seeing over there? Yes, we're seeing it a little slower. So some of the things that I've been hearing and seeing, I've been talking with a few brokers in some other states, and they're seeing it a little more, uh, I want to say, faster, accelerated than we are. Things are happening a little slower here, and I think it is a great point. We are uh, one of the fastest growing. We were named the fastest growing city in America uh, this year. So I do think that we are going to kind of feel the impact of that last, um, kind of in the last downturn of the market. We were one of the last to actually feel that. Uh, so I do see that trend to happen again this time. We've seen it happening a little bit slower. Uh, so we're just starting to kind of transition um, into uh, a seller's market to more of a buyer's market now. So I talked to somebody yesterday. They said it's right now it's a seller's market. Do you agree with, with that? It is a seller's market. Uh, in a, in a way. So if properties are in a condition that is able to uh, uh, pass an FHA or a VA for an FHA or VA buyer, if the property is in good enough condition for these buyers to purchase, they are still, I don't want to say flying off the shelves, but we're still seeing multiple offer situations. I mean, these are people that have been needing or wanting to buy homes for two to three years now. And just based on the demand and, and being you know outbid by these more uh, cash strong buyers, um, we're still seeing them in the market. They've been waiting and waiting for this opportunity. We're still getting multiple offers on on properties that are in good condition uh, but i have seen a slowdown of investor purchases we've seen almost a, a halt of conventional borrowers uh, purchasing homes uh, from our side at least and so i think both of those are huge signs that you know everyone is going to start reeling that in reeling in the reins on the purchasing right now so uh, the me the, there's a there was another number the median uh, ex existing home sales price rose 13.4 percent uh, I, I'm just curious, what's causing the price increase? Well, here in Tampa, we have a lot going on um, with regards to uh, transportation sector, uh, just our growth in general, um, residential sector, the multifamily sector downtown. Uh, we have a lot of growth in our city, and there's a lot of things that are drawing people to Tampa. Um, not to mention, you know, that we are the, named the fastest growing city in America. That always brings more people. But I think we're still seeing a high demand here in Tampa. Um, kind of piggyback on what I said earlier. I think that's why, uh, let alone in Florida, but specifically in the Tampa MSA, I think we are going to be one of the last, if not the last, to really feel the effects of the transitioning market. Uh, because right now, we're still, like I, like I said before, we're still seeing homes selling with multiple offers, uh, but it's just a different buyer. I think it's just those leftover buyers when, when the demand was so high that weren't able to get a handle on, uh, on an actual home then, so. it's very good insight. Jeff Musgrave at the Musgrave Group, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Despite the record high prices, real estate is still America's top pick for long-term investing. This is according to a new bank rate survey. Entity's Sean Marshall has more. For the third time in the last four years, real estate takes first place as America's favorite long-term investment according to information just released in a bank rate survey. Bankrate Chief Financial Analyst Greg McBride. This is the third time in the last four years and the sixth time in the last decade that real estate has come out on top. Uh, and consistent with what we've found in years past, millennials have the highest preference for real estate of all age groups. I asked McBride if rising interest rates have had any connected effect on real estate investing. It, it hasn't changed how investors view real estate as a long-term investment holding. Uh, we, we see a lot of consistency one year to the next in terms of Americans' preference for real estate uh, as an investment holding for a period of a decade or longer. In the survey, people were asked, for money you wouldn't need for more than 10 years, 
Which one of the following do you think would be the best way to invest the money? Here's how the response panned out. Real estate at 29%. The stock market coming in second at 26%. Cash third at 17%. And gold, bonds, and crypto lining up behind those. You don't have to be rich to invest in real estate. Even for those that are not yet homeowners, you can still invest in real estate, uh, either through real estate stocks or real estate investment trusts. So homeownership uh, isn't the only entry into being able to have real estate holdings as part of a diversified portfolio. Of all generations, millennials had the strongest preference for investing in real estate for money not needed in the next decade or more. That's in contrast to baby boomers who preferred the sometimes volatile stock market. Sean Marshall, NTD News. U.S. stocks ended higher today. The Dow added 48 points or two-tenths of a percent. The S&P rose 23 points or six-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq gained 185 points or one and six-tenths of a percent. For the first time ever, Netflix has lost subscribers for two consecutive quarters in a row. Let's take a look at its plan for getting out of this. And today's Arlene Richards has more. Netflix lost nearly a million subscribers in the latest quarter. This is the first time in history it suffered two consecutive quarters of subscriber losses. Their plan? Crack down on password sharing and create a lower price subscription option that contains ads. Our ad-supported offering is an extension of that, uh, you know, sort of pro-consumer wide range of prices that, that will increase accessibility of the service, um, especially in the years to come. Greg Peters is the chief operating officer of Netflix. Peters says that the ads will be sold exclusively by Microsoft, which has partnered with Netflix to create their ad-based system. The two want to create a new ads ecosystem. Let's make advertising part of the, the, the quality of the experience. Um, rather than detracting from it, as well as having a really you know strong brand and advertiser kind of focus. Peters says Microsoft has an interest in innovating in the ad space. Microsoft last year acquired a company called Xander, which is an advertising technology company that integrates with all of Microsoft's media inventory. Bobber Han is the director of public affairs at Z2C Limited. He believes this is a key reason Netflix chose to partner with Microsoft. All the search, all the news that you see on Microsoft, all the Xbox media inventory that they, that they have. Whenever there's a game uh, event within Activision Blizzard with like Overwatch and things of that nature, they could find ways of having better integrations. And so Netflix will join that entire ecosystem. Even though Netflix lost subscribers, the nearly 1 million loss was far short of its predicted 2 million. Netflix stock shot up after the report. Arlene Richards, NTD News. Netflix stock rallied 7% today. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says as early as next week, the House will vote on the Senate's bill to boost semiconductor chip production in the U.S. The CHIPS Act for America is expected to pass the Senate as soon as this week. The bipartisan bill would offer about $52 billion in subsidies to give companies an incentive to boost domestic chip production. The bill is a slimmed-down version of the $250 billion one the Senate passed last year, but the House never took up. The global chip shortage over the past two years has impacted automakers, consumer tech and mobile phone companies, and defense system makers. The bill aims to address the chip shortage, lower cost to consumers, and make the U.S. more competitive. It also aims to improve national security by making the U.S. less dependent on China.
Power use in Texas and other central states hit all-time highs Tuesday. Homes and businesses are cranking, cranking up air conditioners to escape a brutal heat wave. Electric grid operators ask utilities to postpone maintenance on power lines and generating plants. Some utilities and energy service providers ask the consumers to conserve energy. In Texas, ERCOT operates the grid for more than 26 million customers. It said demand was on track to break records for a third day in a row today. SPP operates the grid for almost 18 million people in 17 states from North Dakota to Texas. It said power use hit over 53,000 megawatts on Tuesday, breaking the current record that was just set on Monday. Besides the possibility of being overloaded, what other threats do our power grids face? A recent documentary highlighted some major vulnerabilities, including cyber attacks and electromagnetic pulse attacks. The film is called Grid Down, Power Up. Entity's Paul Graney sat down with the producer of the film at the Freedom Fest, where the film just premiered. He asked him how our adversaries like China could take advantage of our grid's vulnerabilities. We're here at Freedom Fest 2022. We're delighted to be joined by David Tice. He is the producer of a compelling new documentary called Grid Down, Power Up. David, thanks for joining us. Glad to be with you today. Tell us a little bit about the documentary. So the documentary talks about the vulnerability of the U.S. power grid and, frankly, the entire civilian infrastructure. So our, there are four major threats, physical attack, a cyber attack, an electromagnetic pulse attack, and then a geomagnetic disturbance. If any of those were uh, dispensed in size, they could take down the grid coast to coast for more than six months, which could kill as many as 90% of American citizens. Why have we not seen an attack like this yet? Well, our adversaries will wait. And it's certainly strategic. And this is something we don't know if it will ever come. Obviously, we certainly hope and pray that it will not, but us being vulnerable gives the other side cards. And we've seen how cutthroat Vladimir Putin could be. Uh, we've certainly seen great threats out of Qi from China. So it just makes sense to prepare such that this might not ever happen. Do our adversaries have the weapons to do it? Yes, they do. I mean, in terms of cyber attack, we know that, uh, unfortunately, we buy a great number of our transformers from China. We had Secretary of Energy under Joe Biden, Jennifer Granholm, recently said earlier this year on national TV, she was asked directly if our adversaries were in the grid and if they could bring down the grid. And she answered affirmatively. How do we defend it? So we defend it by waking up the American citizens, demanding that our legislators, regulators, and public utilities think more about this vulnerability and fix it. So actually, this film is not just scare porn. We have a action mechanisms by which we can 
fix this. And the solutions are not that difficult. There needs to be better regulation. We're arguing that actually the U.S. government should be paying for this instead of counting on the utilities to put these additional capital improvements into the rate base. We've essentially been trying to get the utilities to step forward and do some of that for years, and it really hasn't worked. How confident are you that something can be done to fix this? I'm highly confident. We know that there are mechanisms by which this could be fixed. We know that there are, Cipratec is a uh, device that protects relay stations. It's a joint venture between Siemens and Centerpoint Energy. And essentially that is ready to go I'm sorry, CPS energy, ready to go that could be implemented in substations and help protect transformers and substations from cyber attack as well as electromagnetic pulse attacks. Is it expensive to do this? It's not even that expensive. It's essentially at a lesser cost than uh, creating a, a new substation. We're talking about between $400,000 to $700,000 per substation. And CPS Energy is already uh, introducing to a number of their substations in the Houston area as we speak. David Tice, thank you. Still to come, Airbnb offering the chance to stay in a house from a famous movie. It's celebrating a big anniversary. We take a look at Hong Kong's last remaining hand-painted porcelain factory and what it's known for. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Alaska Airlines is making a move to speed up the check-in process. The company announced that it's rolling out electronic bag tags. Alaska Airlines says these new tags will allow travelers to skip the step of printing baggage tags when checking in at the airport. Customers will instead be able to activate the electronic tags through the airline's app up to 24 hours before a flight and then use a self-service bag drop when they arrive at the airport. The airline expects this will cut time spent dropping off luggage by nearly 40% and also free up employees to deal with other issues at the airport. The technology is being launched in phases. The airline said 2,500 Alaska frequent flyers will get to use the technology first, starting in late 2022. The devices will then be made available to mileage plan members for purchase in early 2023. Here's an offer you can't refuse. Fans of the Godfather movie will get the chance to stay in one of the homes used in the 1972 award-winning drama. The 6,000-square-foot home house in Staten Island, New York, was used for exterior scenes for the movie 
and it will be listed on Airbnb for a limited time. It's to celebrate the film's 50th anniversary. The five-bedroom, seven-bath rental is available for the month of August. It sleeps up to five people, has a pool, game room, and gym, and costs just $50 a night. The one catch is you have to rent it for the whole month. If you're interested, you'll have to jump on the opportunity. The booking opens at 1 p.m. Eastern Time next Wednesday. It's the end of an era for Hong Kong's last standing hand-painted porcelain factory. The art of hand-painting ceramics may soon be lost in the city, as young people are reluctant to come forward and learn the techniques. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Yuetong China Works is Hong Kong's last remaining hand-painted porcelain factory. When you step inside, you find yourself surrounded with stacks of dinnerware, each painstakingly painted by hand. Joseph So is the third-generation owner of the factory. He is one of the few people in Hong Kong who have mastered the traditional technique of painting guansai, or Canton porcelain. The factory was established by So's grandfather in Hong Kong's Kowloon City in 1928. Over the years, it rose to prominence for its delicate craftsmanship and custom dinnerware. Hong Kong became the world's factory at that time. China was going through the Cultural Revolution and other events. People there were living in poor conditions and could not catch up with the world's development. Hong Kong, however, was the most stable place, so the export sector was blossoming from the 1960s to the 1980s. The factory would customize dinnerware for foreigners, painting family crests on the porcelain. Its products have been changing. For example, in its early days, most of them were painted with traditional patterns, showing their inheritance from Guangzhou and Jiangxi. It also showed how they inherited the essence of Guangzhou. Most of their products showed this painting style at the beginning. Guangzhou adopts an overglaze technique. The painter will first sketch the design onto a piece of white porcelain, then fill it in with color using thin brushes before firing the porcelain in a kiln. The factory is known for its Canton rose porcelain pieces painted with a rag pigment. In Yuetung China Works, there is a pattern named Canton Rose, and it's painted with Shihong, or Western Red. It is a special pigment because it's extracted from real gold, which is very valuable. Canton Rose is valuable not only because of this pigment, but also its painting technique. Today, there are only two artisans at Yuet Tung China Works to hand paint their products, and they are over 80 years old. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, send us an email at business at ntd.com. That's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Chenny Wu. You can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. You can follow me on Twitter, too. For NTD Business, that's all for today. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.